Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative mu- music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Andrew Mullen, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston. And uh, we actually uh, replaced Ben with another Ben today because uh, he's going to take just the helm with editorial duties today. Um, instead, we have a returning Ben here from CM Life's past. Would you like to introduce our, yourself? Hello, guys. How are you? My name is Ben Solis. I am a CMU alum. I was with the uh, Central Michigan Life newspaper between 13 to 20, 2013 to 2017, when I finally graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is great being back. Thank you so much for having me. Of we cool. uh, we started the Raving Geeks podcast, me and Mr. Malachi Barrett. So I'm very happy to see you guys doing something musical. We didn't really have that. So this is a great, great thing. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no I problem. appreciate, appreciate uh, carrying on the, uh, the legacy of CM Life podcast here, yes. going strong into our fourth season, whatever season we're on. I think it's the fourth, right? Yes. We have to be one of the longest-running podcasts at this point. Yeah, Raving Geeks has been on longer than us, though. Yeah. I think Raving might be the longest, I want to say. It's an institution. It's an institution. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so there's a reason why we have Mr. Ben Solis on here, because he and I probably share a, a, a band that we love as far as I'll be up there with among our favorite bands, I would hazard to guess. Definitely uh, top five for me. Yeah, I don't know if quite top five for me, but they're they're up there. At the very least, like top 20. And they also made one of my favorite albums ever, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We're talking about, of course, Faith No More, which is one of the coolest band names ever made. Just one of the coolest. Just as a side note. As is with the music itself. This this music, this band, it's just quite frankly awesome in everything they've really done. I don't think there's really a bad Faith No More record. There's a couple that slouch a bit, but mm-hmm. nothing truly bad. So I'm very excited talking about this today. Uh, but before we dive into our topic today, Michael, would you like to introduce everyone, do a little bit of housekeeping? Tell, tell us where they can find us on social. Yes, you can follow us on Twitter at SCheckOfficial. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael C. Live. And you can follow Andrew at Andrew Mullen 4. Do you, do you have a Twitter that you'd like to plug, Ben? I do have a Twitter. It's at Ben Solis 1. Ben Solis numeral 1. Numeral 1. Mm-hmm. There we go. Cool. And what can people find on your Twitter account? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, all my work uh, uh, content. I work at Gongwer News Service in Lansing. It's a political insider uh, newsletter uh, covering the Capitol. I also post a great deal about music, um, so you can find me. You know, sharing selections and opinions there. I don't share much more because social media is dangerous. But uh, I think perhaps my favorite um, Ben Solis social media presence is when you guys got into a Facebook argument over, I think, Alanis Morissette. Mm, Could have been we? something else. Mm, it was last year. But that is like before we, meeting you at the CM Life 100-year thing. That was my one Ben Solis. I, I, I know something... I don't remember. I might, have, might have been debating a Van Halen thing at some point. I know we've, we've we've had a couple of Facebook conversations. We've had some we've had some run-ins on social media. Yes. <laughs> run ins for like car accidents. Res- respectable run-ins. <laughs> but uh, yes, um, we. I, I I don't remember which band it is. So I wish I could, but maybe it was Alliance Morissette. I don't know. Alliance Morissette is amazing, and uh, don't give me that face, Michael. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, yes, but we're not here to talk about. Uh, Canadians. We're going to talk about Faith No More. So, uh, 
I'll just start off. I'll, 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 we'll let Gus go first here. Start us off. What? How were you introduced to Faith No More band? What? Kind of give me a general summation of what you like about the band. My journey with Faith No More started when I was really young. Um, you know, I'm a musician myself. I play drums. My family are a bunch of musicians. My dad plays guitar. My brother plays bass. He's still a professional musician to this day. So shout out to Tony Solis out in uh, New York. But. Um, you know, we, we grew up listening to a great deal of different kinds of music, um, you know, anything from R&B and pop to, you know, hard rock, progressive rock, metal. And um, I remember distinctly one day when I was about maybe 10, late 90s, uh, 1998, probably, uh, between Aerosmith and Ted Nugent, uh, this, this band came on on mainstream radio and uh, from the get-go, it was just powerful. It was um, it was personal. It was it was so in your face. And that that song was epic, as we'll talk about soon. Uh, probably one of the biggest Faith No More songs. And I was just completely enamored. I just needed to know who this band was and uh, what they were all about. And so I started listening. And it's odd odd enough that when I was even younger, I was really really into Bill and Ted. Really super into Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. And as you know, if you watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure. Jim Martin is prominently featured in that movie. A really great Faith No More song is also prominently featured in that movie. Um, so, you know, it's kind of always been a part of my life. Uh, one of the reasons why I like them so much is because they're so diverse in their talent um, and their musical style, and they're just so in your face. When they really get super heavy, it, they're like one of the heaviest bands I've ever heard without, you know, uh, going into really thrash and death metal and, and really you know, heavy metal uh, territory. Um, so it, they are personal to me. Mike Patton is one of my favorite singers. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of love for this band. And even when I kind of fell off of them and rekindled my love for them in college, uh, it was just, um, it, it, it helped me get through everything that I had to deal with here, uh, just because it's such an emotional band. Uh, but Faith No More is great. You know, anyone who says that they uh, don't like Faith No More, I feel like they really haven't really listened to Faith No More. Mm. Uh, they need to dig in, which I think it's really interesting. Michael didn't yeah. know Faith yeah, No More. No, 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 no. We, we do this sometimes where, like, I'll introduce a band or Andrew will introduce a band and none of us or one of us will never hear. We've never, never heard, heard that band before. before. Yeah. yeah. So that was an example with, like, Bob Mould's solo career. I, I delved into that. And you delved into, like, um, King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard. Or the Smash Pumpkins. Yeah. Those are kind of things. So, so this was a exploration for me, for sure. And I, I can preface this now. I came out pleasantly surprised. That's so awesome. That's so awesome that someone who did not grow up in that era did not, you know, it's like such a snapshot of a certain period of time in mm-hmm. music. Uh, I think it, it's a testament that this band still holds up today. And I so. still, to this day, cannot pinpoint a genre for these guys though is it rap metal is it alternative metal is it i mean uh the answer to that michael is yes yes <laughs> yes everything all of the above i mean they're they're one of the most unique sounds that one of the most unique sounding bands from that era and really any area they've been in like they really know how to stand out they really know how to give each of their songs their own identities which is something i love about them i mean you mentioned that the wealth of talent in this band there really is i mean everyone bass keys guitar vocal every every element of this band is used correctly and really helps 
add to the music without taking away from anyone else. It, they just complement each other so well. I would completely agree with that. You know, um, aside from the moments where one element shines more than the other, this is a very ensemble-driven band. Oh yeah. You know the way that Roddy and um, and Billy, which we'll talk about who those people are later on. Um, Right is just so so layered and so um, cognizant of how all these pieces are going to fit together to make these songs. Um, there's not like really a, a metal band from that era that really I feel like thought about so much of that construction yeah. as much as these guys did. And you know, as I'll talk about it later, this is why Faith No More is one of you know metalheads' favorite favorite bands, and not right. just like lay people. I'm talking about members of Metallica. I'm talking about members of Guns N' Roses. I'm talking about really big bands from those era, all saying Faith No More is one of our favorite bands. Great. But it really wasn't always like that, though, this ensemble-driven music. I mean, let's go back to the very first album, the self-titled well, album. Before, well, no, there's actually quite a bit to talk more about. Yeah, even further song. in the past. Because this is a weird band where they're, like debut record didn't come until several years after forming. Well, I don't even think they had an EP out before before then. So, um, Faith and More starts back a lot later than than we think. Hell, I I still forget that sometimes they were formed actually in the late seventies, in nineteen seventy nine is when they first formed. I think they were called Faith No Man. It's mm-hmm. kind of the name they had yeah. settled on at first. Um, uh, as, as you had mentioned, Billy Goldman and uh, so there's Roddy Bottom, there's Billy Gold, there's Jim Martin. And then uh, Mike Borden, who sometimes go by, goes by the name Puff yeah. or Puffy, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, a whole host of singers who have been with them. Yeah. You know, the, it, it really. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the, the, the uh, beyond the singers. I mean, those are typically the members that are kind of generally regarded as the original like core of the group, core of the unit, for core, sure, at least. But as you mentioned, there were so many different uh, lead singers that kind of rotated out at the beginning, including Courtney Love, one of the most often forgotten pieces of music trivia ever. And it still amazes mm-hmm. me to this day. Courtney Love, of all people. And one of the uh, most hated figures in music in general, which, probably. Eh, it's unfair, un- <laughs> un- in, especially in certain cases, very unfairly hated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was in Faith No More for a bit. Which, And yes, you can go find some demos on YouTube right now if you really want to. I think this is a song called Blood. Is that, is that the one she's on? Yes. Um, it's fine. We were actually listening to this before. I know. It's fine. Like, it's just a demo. Like, it would have been so interesting, though, to see if she had stuck with them. If, they, if that had stuck going forward, because, man, that would have been odd. That would it was a whole, a whole change. I think a whole, like, certain sect of music would have been completely different oh, going yeah. forward. Oh, yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not really – the problem is, though, without, like, a lot of musical releases, though, it's kind of hard to really – even though there's probably, like, five, six years from formation to new album to the debut, there's not really much to talk about between there because there wasn't just a whole lot of releases. No. No, there wasn't. You know, but they were a, a, a you know, prominently – live gig a lot of people knew who they were they played tons of shows um and that was what i really think um made them such a cool act is that you know they had all this music that they were writing they were playing it live they weren't recording it um and you know as we've kind of mentioned here people love to go see them just because just seeing that kind of music live was really strange even for the time Mm -hmm. it's very post-punk you know, yeah. there's very mm-hmm. weird post-punk vibes uh, with that early material. Um, it's kind of very garage too, the mm-hmm. way that like it, it sounds, and then eventually how it was recorded as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really, very strange band starting off. 
Yeah, I I really I did enjoy this uh, the Chuck Mosley era of albums, which, I, which I, is eventually the singer that settled on with um, Vietnam War with the first two records. Right. I think the first album has a lot of musical charm, while Mosley's vocal style is kind of like meatheadish, and I usually don't gravitate towards that. It's that instrumental production that that drew me in with those synths. I've never heard anything like that before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, of course I enjoyed uh, We Care A Lot, although I enjoyed uh, the reproduction of mm-hmm. that later. But um, it, that album just kind of spits in the face of so many acts that came before it, and I, I really respected that. And um, I just, I enjoyed how kind of skeletal it was. Yeah. Um, you can tell there was so much potential in those first in that first album mm-hmm. um and it's totally capitalized later on so um to preface so we're, we're talking about the first record we care a lot uh that's the first album if you go uh, back and look at look it through there that's um typically where uh what did have, what, did have a star of david on there is it, it's uh, that's that's what's on the front that's right? their that's their symbol that is ah. that is what their band logo is and and remain to be um not necessarily on their albums it didn't really show up very often in their albums but all of their merch typically does mm-hmm. have this this symbol and i don't you know i i'm not sure what what they were going for i think they were playing off of of the like religious iconography of it all mm-hmm. um but uh yeah it's 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 really weird that you know you have this band that has this prominent symbol on this this album and they never bring it back up again yeah. um and the, the logos like the actual typography of their name has changed so many times oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know to say that this band has a logo is is probably a misnomer yeah i think this is as close as it gets though well so i think some people also tend to have the uh, the dog on the cover of King for a Day tends to also be another. I well, I guess to be more of a mascot for them, but that's also one I typically see brought up if you search for Faith No More logo. Mm-hmm. That's typically the one that you see there. Um, but yeah, going back to what Michael said, yeah, this is a very skeletal record. Um, it, for me, like I'm not crazy about the debut. I mean, the debut is just kind of there. Um, it, 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 all of really for, for me, and kind of for the sec- second. Uh, um, second record as well it just kind of sets up what would come up with the, the, the real thing or just later on i mean it it is a it is a definitely an interesting sound i mean this would have been fresh to hear during the time it came out but i mean let's listen back to it yeah the bare bones production the kind of goofy uh choruses and chants they would do on this yeah. record but like i said i think it's charming i think it's really charming and um and I found myself gravitating towards this stuff more than even some of the stuff that would come after Angel Dust. Um, I I can come back to this sound as a um, a really unique identity in in that whole scene when it was coming out. Um, and I think uh, I think the Mosley era albums uh, paint Faith No More mm-hmm. as a completely different band compared to when Patton comes in. Then um, I I'd like to give you a chance to to, to uh, respond. Respond, Ben. But uh, I think we should probably play a bit of a song from this record here um, just to get us started off with. So uh, here's a song called As the Worms Turn, which is probably my favorite song on the record.
So as you can hear on that, um, this this song highlights very um, important characteristics of their early sound: like heavy use of synths, heavy use of bass in the mix. Um, mm-hmm. It really, I mean, it would kind of for like the next two records. This is kind of what uh, their sound would be sound like for an extent. But uh, Ben, what else do you have to say about the debut? It's so you guys hit on really important notes. You know, um, this is such, I don't want to say a juvenile release, but compared to the rest of their material and how they advance in their songwriting later on, you can tell that this was written by two dudes in a room or in a garage, Mm -hmm. just trying to come up with something different and fresh. And you guys, you said that um, it has a very post-punk sound with all those synths, you know, new order would drool over something like this. You know, Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, we didn't hear Chuck's vocals yet. And I know we will in another song that's coming up. Um, You know, this is a very kind of just um, uh, middle finger to what was going on at the time. Uh, You know, it's not really very heavy. The rest of that album is not very heavy either. Um, And Chuck's vocals, when you hear them. Um, you might laugh a little bit. I know a lot of Faith No More fans who like are really big on the Mike Patton stuff, but the minute they start hearing Introduce Yourself, which is the album that follows this, mm-hmm. or We Care A Lot, which we're talking about now, 1985, they hear Chuck's vocals, Chuck Mosley, and they think it's a joke. Or yeah. you know, it takes like the, the, the air out of the room because yeah. it's just so poorly constructed. But there's a charm to it. Yeah. There is a there is a, a genuine charm to I, it. I get the same feeling listening to the Mosley stuff as I do listening to like institutionalized by suicidal tendencies. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> but let, let's take a listen to Mosley's vocals with this uh with this next song here called The Jungle. Raw, just raw, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. For I me, mean, for me, like I, I mean, it's fun. I think this is fun. I mean, <laughs> but like beyond that, like is, like yeah. See that, that, see that kind of chanting stuff they were doing on this. It's just kind of a little goofy to me, to to a point where it kind of takes me away from it a bit. It is juvenile, like you said. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I don't mind Chuck. I think he's fine. Although I, he's just nowhere near as dynamic as Mike Patton proved he could be with this band. So it is it is certainly harder to go back and listen to the Chuck Mosley stuff when you know the Mike Patton stuff really well. I I don't I don't I so I can kind of see where some people are coming from when they kind of give some ire to the Chuck Mosley stuff. I don't think it's all that warranted because I still think it's especially with the next record coming forward, it's still good. But I, I there's especially with the production on this record too, there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made going forward. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. Let's let's talk about introduce yourself for a second because I think anyone can find some merit in it. I think out of the Mosley era albums, uh, I think I think the first record has the better sound, honestly, because of that of those skeletal characteristics. But introduce yourself has the better songs. I think the title track is amazing and song. I think is 
it's adorable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it it's, is. It has a lot of character, and and the storytelling is is amazing, um, and and the re-recorded we care a lot. I mean, you can hear the difference in that the in the production choices. Um, it starts to drop off in a couple songs. Um, I think towards the end, but the I mean, the end of Blood is fantastic. I don't know. I I, I think there is something to be talked about with introduce yourself uh, and the aggression that kind of comes into play. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, for me personally, being such a big fan of this band, this is such a guilty pleasure album for me. Um, it's pro- It probably does rank as one of my top five albums out of their c- catalog, mm-hmm. uh, even though they only have, like, what, six six albums? Yeah. Uh, seven. 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 Six or seven albums. So this is this is definitely the, in the top three for me, mm-hmm. um, mostly because, I mean, I'm 100% a Chuck Mosley apologist. I will bang that <laughs> Chuck Mosley drum all day long. And, you, you know, you had a really good point. Point, Michael, these lyrics are really like very personally poetic in a weird way. It all has this like very this odd element of spoken word yeah. that um, the other albums don't have, and I think some of that comes from just the way that a Chuck sings, tries to sing it all, um, <laughs> and the way that he writes his his lyrics. And uh, and song is a really really good example because it's you know sets up this kind of like ambient groove that's just going on behind mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. while Chuck is just, you know, uh, just stream of conscious, just pointing out people in a room and a party yeah. that he's just at, you know? Um, and there's an amazing lead in the middle of this song by Jim Martin that really, really shows how good of a guitar player Jim Martin is. You can hear yes. something like what we just played, which is heavy riffing, you know, it kind of follows along with the bass and they're kind of mm-hmm. in sync. But the minute Jim Martin gets a chance to shine, you know why that he was so essential to this band's sound. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I love this album. And Anne's Song is a highlight for me. The title track is certainly a highlight for me. R&R is really, really very good. And Blood, as we mentioned earlier, that was one of the ones that actually had a demo with... Um, Courtney Love, Courtney Love mm-hmm. is is one of the best songs on this album, especially the way that the chorus breaks down. So much to talk about on this, but um, I think the big takeaway is you know this contrast between this evolving sound of these really great songwriters and this very raw, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like deconstructed energy with Chuck. Um, it's a really strange just back and forth on this album if you're listening to it let's let's take a listen to introduce yourself and then i'd like to come back and talk about the band personally and why we're about to see a change in singers Yeah, before we move up this record, though, I do kind of want to talk about this, because I think this record is essentially, basically, we care a lot, but improved on in every single facet. I think the production's much better. They sound tighter on this record. Uh, the bass kicks in a lot more, which I love. Um, I think they're starting to really utilize the keys to their to their fullest potential. In, uh, not quite there, but it's close. They will perfect that on the next record, in my opinion. And I think I love how heavier the song guitars are. I know you said you like the more skeletal sound of the, of the previous record. Mm-hmm. I have to say I disagree. I think um, having this thicker sound is more attuned to what Faith No More would become known for, which I really like. And you actually brought up a really interesting point about the lyrics. I think um, Chuck 
Shrek did, did bring some. Wasn't well, it wasn't as bizarre or kind of cryptic as Mike Patton could be. Um, he, he certainly did bring something. I think poetic at times, but he could also kind of get political too. We definitely see that. Uh, we definitely saw that with one with the title track for the previous mm-hmm. record, "We Care a Lot," which was actually re-recorded for "Introduce Yourself." And um, actually, which I'd like to, if Ben, which you wouldn't mind. I know we just played a song, but if you wouldn't mind playing a clip of that, and you can, because kind of listen to the lyrics because it does kind of capture that era of time pretty well. Wake up. have time to play build versions on the episode today but I'd highly encourage um, people just go back and listen to the original version of the song and then go back and listen to the one on introduce yourself and you can definitely it's a great it's a great example on how they improve themselves going forward on this record so while this is certain this certainly is not my favorite space no more release I could still really get into introduce yourself maybe not so much the debut but i think i think this album does prove that there is still merit to chuck mosley's work yeah i think and I, honestly you know i think that contrast that between this very big sound that the the music has and this you know very just like i said deconstructed way of singing mm-hmm. and, and forming vocals uh i think honestly that's what sold them a lot to slash i feel like that's one of the things that got them signed because they mm-hmm. say like, okay you not only can these guys really you know, do really heavy stuff live and, 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 and appeal to that heavy metal audience. There's just something so unique about them. Um, but, you know, with uniqueness often comes uh, bad blood and uh, bad choices, bad right, lifestyle right, choices. Right. And Chuck Mosley was full of them. Michael, what do we know about Chuck Mosley? From what I understand, uh, he's a classic uh, rock star example of being really addicted to Drugs? Oh, yes. And alcohol. Yes. Big drug addict, big alcoholic for a really long time. He's dead now. um, And a lot of that had to do to the abuse that he put his body through. Um, Chuck's the the story of how Chuck left this band is pretty sad. Um, And not to say that it didn't get better, as it Mm -hmm. certainly, Mm -hmm. certainly did. Um, but Chuck had a lot of problems. Uh, he would, he would not show up to certain rehearsals or if he did, he was loaded and they couldn't really perform. Sometimes they couldn't even find him. And I think that was one of the the breaking points for them is because they had been writing so much deeper material Mm -hmm. and they knew two things. One, that Chuck wasn't reliable and also that there was absolutely no way he would have been able to sing what was going to come next. And yeah, and especially listen to what came next and who replaced them. It, it, I think that's very, pretty evident. Uh, the question I do have for you, though, is, um, and I, I've read, I swear I've read this somewhere over the years, and I was hoping you can uh, correct me on this. Did Chuck mostly still tour with them every now and again just to go on and see some of his material? He he shows up once. Well, he did. And um, oddly enough, uh, when I saw them, I had a chance to see them May 8th, uh, 2015, uh, when they were on the Soul Invictus tour. I and love how you got the date down. I do, too. man. I remember I remember that distinctly. <laughs> oh, I would too, man. It was one of the best concerts I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of concerts. And um, 
Chuck actually has like really deep connections to Detroit. He hangs out here, oh, or really? he did hang out here quite a bit when he was alive. Um, so yeah, on that on that song, I'm trying to remember what they brought him on for. Was it We Care a Lot? It was not. It's in honestly, it was not. It was not anything wow. that you think that it would be. It was. Uh, they played Mark Bowen off of the uh, very first album, off of We Care A Lot, and that's what he came on and sang, which is a real big disappointment, right? Because mm-hmm. out of all the mm-hmm. cool stuff that they could have played with him, it uh, it was Mark Bowen, which is probably one of the worst songs on that first album. But I digress. But yeah, he, he showed up once in a while, but it, it was not in a capacity where he was definitely the front man anymore. So... Um... With that, they obviously needed a new singer. And before we talk about the next record, I think we do have the time to talk about the lead singer. We've mentioned him a couple times. Oh, yeah. Legendary. The mighty. The mighty. Mighty Michael. Mike Patton. Michael Allen Patton. Is, is that his middle <laughs> that name, That is Alan? his full name. Michael <laughs> Allen Patton. What yeah. a lame middle know, name there is. I know. Yeah. Oh, for such a bizarre human being. One of the most in, just prolific, Incredible. interesting people you'll ever find in the world of music and that's saying something because there are some whack jobs in this industry um yeah he if you don't know who mike Patton is first of all how look him up yes uh and b he's probably most famous for being the frontman the most famous frontman for faith no more he's Mm -hmm. pretty much every record they recorded since actually i know every record they recorded since was with mike Patton, but he's also has like 20 million different side projects. Mm-hmm. He's worked on so many different things. Um, uh, Tomahawk and Mr. Bungle are probably his most famous side projects. He's also done, like, Italian symphony stuff as well. He's He has an incredible range. I think it's like I think I've read somewhere he has a six-octave range or something That's stupid insane. like that. And he's also one of the most dynamic frontmen of all time. And I'll talk more about that later to make my points. But, Michael, since you are kind of our, our newbie, you are the one doing research, I want to know what were your first impressions of this bizarre human being. Well, let's talk about research for a second because <laughs> I found myself on YouTube at 3 in the morning a couple days ago just watching, like, interviews of this guy speak. That, at points, was like... The, the point of interest for me is is watching who this guy is and how he thinks. Um, I mean, Mike Patton's addition to Faith No More makes an automatic difference in sound, aesthetic, attitude, lyrics. and lyrics especially. Um, I mean, where the Morris era was like punky, rhythmic, kind of structured. Uh, uh, mostly. Yeah, mostly. Thank you. Uh Patton gets a little more creative with the hooks. He, uh, I mean, he he brings a soulful side to Faith No More, which I really appreciated. And I was listening to some of those side projects that you were touching on, and I think um, I'd love to go back and listen to some more Tomahawk. I listened to like a few songs of that, and that was that was really interesting to me. That's that's definitely a, a, a Michael style music. I'd love to go back and listen to, but. Um, Let's let's just get right into uh, the real thing for a second. And then, can I choose this one? Yeah. Because all right, I'm gonna preface this. So, um, there, Andrew's I, about to geek out. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. So, actually, now that I just remember this, all the way back, and I mean all the way back on the very first episode of Soundcheck, uh, back when Elio Stante was my co-host, uh, we for our introduction episode, we kind of first of all we. 
We actually, I just realized for introduction episode, we didn't talk about introduce yourself. That would have been a brilliant <laughs> <laughs> opportunity. But no, um, we, we kind of just talked about our favorite bands at first. And then we uh, talked about like, because the format then is that we have a classic album. And then shortly going into it, we realized that wasn't really going to work. Um, but for that classic album, since it was kind of more freeform, we just picked any random record. And I actually recommended we talk about The Real Thing. Because The Real Thing is one of my favorite albums of all time. If I, I don't really have like a top 10 laid out, but if I were to make one, I think this one would easily make this right choice. This is, and maybe it's kind of a, a basic choice to put in. This is easily my faith no, favorite Faith No More record, even though I love all the stuff that comes after this. Um, just Mike Patton, like you said, made an immediate difference and uh, he, he just brought something so special to this band. Um, I think Ben was talking about how before kind of going into this, they were having a lot of issues with Chuck and they were realizing he wasn't going to fit. He was becoming unreliable. So they obviously replaced him with Mike, pa- Mike Patton, but they already had all the music uh, finished. So they had him just kind of finish that off by, write, by kind of writing the lyrics and doing the vocals. Um, and that magical combination, I mean, they was spectacular. Like they, any issues they had with the previous records before this one, they fixed. It was just done. The production was perfect. They, I'm gonna say this right now, and I will talk. I'll save this for a little bit later. This is easily this record is easily my favorite use of keyboards ever. Period. It's a very it's not, well written album. Extremely well written album. Yeah, it is. And even though the, I'll, I'll say the talk more about the keyboards later. Later, but. Mike Patton brings us bizarre vocals too. They're very nasally. I understand why not might might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I love them. Uh, the, the guitars are heavy, thick, and chunky. It's great. You, there's a lot of like funk influences in here as well because this is this was released during the time when funk metal was like a craze for 20 minutes, and uh, the bass is of course great. And everything about this album is amazing. Um, I'm gonna calm down a bit. Let you yeah, guys you mind talk. if we you mind if we actually hear some <laughs> yeah. of it? Yes, yeah, actually, pour some cold uh, water on Andrew. So yes, um, we will start off with probably their most famous song. I've, I'd probably pretty much safe to say it. it is their most famous song, the one everyone knows. Let's hear "Epic." Just a snippet of that song is a crime. Yes. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have any inkling of listening to this band, listen to the entirety of this song and just be blown away because the sweep on this song is just amazing. Uh, that's not enough. Listen to this whole album. If you, if you have any inkling of listening to this band, you'll not be disappointed. I'm gonna shut up. Please, guys, talk because I need to. I need cold water, like you said. Where does this stand for you, Ben, on the entire list of Faith No More albums? Is it number one? It's you know, oddly enough, it is, and it's it's really funny, right? Because when you get a bunch of like music snobs or music purists in the room, everyone is going to say like, "Oh, the most commercial album is good, but it's not the best, and it doesn't have the deepest tracks on it." Mm-hmm. You know, I really mm-hmm. like this particular album because of this A and B. 
pound for pound, this is the most iconic, the be- the best uh, production, the most well-written Faith No More album uh, there is. A lot of that has to do just with the fact that I think Roddy and Billy had a lot more resources. They had money and time and, um, you know, they had an access to a studio that they weren't, you know, uh, crunched for because the last album, uh, Introduce Yourself, it sold pretty well. I mean, it wasn't a huge hit or anything and and Song had a video, um, but it, it, you know, it allowed them to be able to branch out. And I think that what was going on at the time for music, a lot of this was recorded in 1988. It was released in 1989. Um, And it was just really a sign of the times too. Because if you do listen to this entire album, you get such a a wide scope of what Faith No More is, right? There's really, really heavy metal, like thrash parts to this album. Um, But there's all these like very great layered vocals of Mike Patton, fantastic use of synthesizers and, and, and keyboards. And I think that the drums are just so lock solid and just pr- recorded so well. There's mm-hmm. not there's not a bad song on this album. And it, and it kicks butt from beginning to end. I think it's an anomaly that how the critical success that this album got, because I, th- I remember watching a video, I think with Martin getting interviewed, where he's saying, you know, this doesn't happen that a band changes singers and they become commercially successful. Usually you have to have some sort of consistency in order for that to work. But I mean, it, the stars all aligned, I think, for this album. You're, you're getting this new creative vocal flair and you're combining it with the band's probably most tight playing to date. And, and the, like Andrew was saying, probably the definitely the best production to date. Um, I, I think it's just a, a I, it should be viewed as a benchmark in musical history that uh, no uh, no progression of a band can be formulaic um, because Faith No More definitely did not have the rise to popularity that any other band has. No, I mean, yeah, like Ben said, like a lot of times, with, especially bands who have been around forever and everyone is, are huge fans of, and, you know, especially when you look at something like Black Sabbath, you look at someone like Van Halen, when they switch singers, they, yeah, they'll still have their fans, but a lot of people, it's like, oh, I don't know, I don't like that. Then mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. then some people, if I, when Ozzy left, I would imagine there were probably a good chunk of people who made, like, I don't care about the studio stuff, and went on to listen to Ozzy's solo stuff. It can create divide. But I think it worked here. It's because, I mean, like like, like, like you said, they were, they were kind of known. They, like, Introduce Yourself did kind of well. But they weren't, like, mainstream yet. They weren't, like, huge yet. So, like, I think – so a lot of people didn't even know there were probably even was a singer change uh, unless they saw that interview at, at that time sure. or whatever. It, it, it was probably very – because of that, it was much easier for them to make that transition. A theme I've identified from us talking, and now that we're comparing these two eras of music, is that uh, Faith No More has a, a, a great responsibility of keeping all of their fans um, together. And there's no divide between the Mosley era or the Patton era, it seems. It seems like, um, at least from us three talking about it, uh, people have a soft spot for that Mosley era stuff, but they appreciate the Patton stuff. Um, for what it is and, and what it brought. And I think uh, I think Faith No More's cult following of fans is something that's going to be consistent no matter what they do in their career. And I think a lot of that has to do with Mike. I mean, you, you and I hate to say it, it's just quite simple. I mean, the guy can sing. You know, the guy's, the guy's vocals on this album are not only just very catchy, they're just very, very, very well written. And I think just the contrast between something like Chuck, which was just, you know, mediocre at best, mm-hmm. to this guy who has an operatic range of vocals um, is just killer. And I think it's really funny. And Mike, Michael, you might know some of this, too, in your research. How he joined the band is, is really one of these, like, faded 
rock and roll stories. Uh, sure. They were Mike Patton was in Mr. Bungle, as mm-hmm. we all know. That was his original band. His high school band. His high school and band. They hadn't even recorded any studio material. They had the recorded a demo. A demo. But the only but so here's the, the the Mr. Bungle just went on tour, right? And they had like like maybe three shows that they announced that they were going to play and that they're they're playing them now. I think that they just finished maybe like their fifth show of this this little stretch that they were doing, and they had recorded a death metal demo called The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, right? And so these guys were very big Faith No More fans, extremely big Faith No More fans in the Chuck Mosley era. Uh, So they drove out to go see them, and they brought that demo with them, met the band after the show, and, and, you know, showed it to them, gave it to them. Uh, Hadn't heard from them uh, ever again. Well, eventually Mike would hear from them. Um, and these guys just had this tape laying around. And I think all of them really liked it. Um, for the most part, what I had read was that they didn't think the music was all that great. Right. But they were like, but this guy's vocals rock. Right. And when they were crunched for how are you going to go find a new singer, they went out and they auditioned a bunch of people. They weren't satisfied with who they had been auditioning. And it was actually, and this is going to be funny later on in the story of Faith No More, Jim Martin was the one who said, well, how about this? What about this guy? He's great. Let's let's get him. Um, so, you know, they were like, all right, well, maybe. And then they saw him at a show like like months later and it's like, hey, by the way, yeah, you, you, you still singing with that band. You still into it. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, we don't sound like that anymore, because as you know, if you listen to a bunch of Mr. Bungle, that first album is like oh, it's really intense and it is death metally. But, you know, if you listen to later Mr. Bungle, it's like death ska. Mm. Right. There's like this this ska kind of funk element to the metal. And um, Billy and Roddy were very, very uh, enamored with one thing that Mike said, is that we don't sound like that anymore. And they thought, okay, we're a band that's evolving as we're going along. We're already moving in a direction that's so much different than what we used to be. They really liked the fact that he was a guy who was willing to embrace change, embrace something bizarre, and they auditioned him, and it was, you know, the rest is history. God, you got to love stories like that. Yeah, and really, and you can hear that all over this record. Uh, The one thing I will... I always go back to with this album as far as encapsulating the weirdness of Mike Patton. I think I talked about that in that first episode of Soundcheck. It's the song Zombie Eaters, which is one of my favorites on this record. Uh, again, again, Mike wrote all the lyrics afterwards, and so the music was already there. So he took this song and had this like about one to two minute stretch where it's like kind of this really atmospheric, slow, like kind of build uh, with all these keys and harmonics. It's really, really awesome and then it kind of like drops this really heavy riff and this bass line comes in it's really cool and what 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 did mike decide to write lyrics about he wrote about in the sense that how a child enters into the world and okay after the initial childbirth childbirth is not peaceful and fun if you've ever seen videos of it but (laughs) where are you going with this (laughs) i mean he's not wrong (laughs) but let let me talk, Michael. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, a child, you know, baby looks, you know, typically peaceful and whatnot. You know, it's a, it's in its own little world. It's like, ah, I'm a baby. It's fun. And then Terrible Twos hits. And then suddenly they're all temperamental and crazy. That's where the song drops. And that's where the Terrible Twos happen. That's the... He wrote, Mike Patton wrote a song in, from the viewpoint of a temperamental child who has, like... Like a superiority and like dominant complex over his mother saying, hey, I can, I control your life now. Thus, I, yes, I am your life. Who fucking comes up with that shit? It's a, I, this is a guy that I want, like, 
I want when he dies, someone needs to dissect this man's brain because I want to know how he thinks. He's just such a bizarre man. <laughs> and what's really funny about that too is that um, you know if you if you read older interviews with him about. Um, his lyrical style early on he kind of and maybe this is like maybe sounds pretentious and in a way it kind of is but he said that he really never like focuses on like on what he's actually saying it's it's really about how it sounds you know because then that's like a singer singer mentality right Mm. he's writing these lyrics for how they're gonna phonetically sound as they're coming out of his mouth which is funny because they are thematic they're extremely thematic and and, and narrative in a weird way Mm -hmm. Um, but you know they're not written with a concept or a theme in mind. They're written with the way it's going to sound. And that's something so unique about Mike Patton as well. And, and, and something else to go along with that, which, which is actually kind of makes sense but doesn't. I mean, with the song to have more of a narrative or have themes, yeah, you're right. Did, like, how does he not have, like, conscious ideas of what he's writing? That does... That does confuse me a little. But I know. Like I said, it's pretentious that he would even say that. Yeah, I know. But like, but then you get to stuff like, um, uh, you know, Epic, you know, which has kind of these cryptic... I mean, I know it's... I, I've, I've read that somewhere it's epic is about like drug, drug addiction how much you want it and like kind of what goes through their heads but the lyrics are so cryptic to that it could literally it, it literally says what is it during there talking about like you want it all but you can't have it it's so generic but cryptic enough where it like you can fit into anything you like you want in life it almost seems profound how cryptic it is those lyrics mean absolutely nothing if you look at them and read them they are absolutely gobbledygook because they just don't mean anything but when you listen to how it sounds it, if you take one lyric out of that song, that song would not sound the same. Mm-hmm. It would, it just simply wouldn't. And that's just, that's kind of the beauty of this man's brain. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's just, he's just such an odd character. And then I'll let you talk, Michael, I promise. But there's one more, I do, do kind of want to get to the next, so I want to play some music. The one thing I will, I'm another song that's kind of cryptically written is the real thing. And I wanted to talk more about the keyboards a bit. Uh, if you could play us a clip, Ben, of the real thing, and then, yes, we'll talk about these keyboards. listen to the song you can kind of hear those keyboard notes uh, coming in the back and again keyboards are nothing like uh bottom is not like a uh it's not like a tremendous keyboard player he doesn't have any great technical abilities but what they do use in this album very effectively those keyboards give the um atmosphere like i've never heard keyboards used before like like just having those single notes just ring out and like throughout the verses or there's just a couple note changes throughout the chorus changes the mood of the entire song and it kind of goes back to a principle i like to apply to nick drake a lot you can do so much 
with so little. And you don't, it didn't, those keyboards don't need a lot of flash with it. Mm -hmm. They can just, just ring out and it just works beautifully. And it's just, just a nice, and it's just one of the many reasons why I love this album so much. I, again, I don't want to honk too much more of the spotlight. Michael, what else, do you have, what else do you have to say about the real thing? You guys have pretty much been encapsulating all that I've thought, but I mean, going, I'm going to continue with that keyboard point for a second because we just did our shoegaze episode last mm -hmm. week, right? So atmosphere is something that's fresh in my mind. And I can definitely say that that song is a perfect example of creating an atmosphere. And uh, just to encapsulate what you guys said about Mike Patton's vocals across this record, he does a great job of switching between the rapping style and the singing style. Um, I mean, Epic is a jam at first listen for me, but then I, I saw that it would always come on after an album would finish. And I started, you know, I, I have to come at a point where it's like, I love Epic as a song, but, um, you know, I talked to my parents about this band when I went home for the weekend and, you know, it could get annoying after a while, those nasally vocals. So I wouldn't return to it like I would a song like Surprise You're Dead or Underwater Love. Um, those, those were the ones that stuck out for me. So if I can have Ben play Surprise You're Dead real quick, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. thrashy as all hell right yeah. but you're also seeing a return of those chanty vocals that we got on the first yeah. two records which i fell in love with, in love with that characteristic mm -hmm. so this song for me encapsulates the real thing and and so i want everyone listening at home to notice i mean like we just played three songs from this record notice how they all kind of sound like similar enough where they belong in the same record but you go listen to everything I and mean, you have like kind of the real thing which is the really long drawn out atmospheric song you have epic which is kind of the big hit single you have falling to pieces which is another single from this record probably my favorite song from the album uh it's just just a really smooth slick um jam that kind of has a lot of hip-hop influences you have surprise you're dead which is essentially the thrash song every song in this album has its own identity and it, it just every song stands out from each other and God, I, I want to talk about every single song in the album. I just don't have time to. It's just have time. so hard. It's it, just so hard to do. And, you know, Michael, you brought up a really good point. You know, this is like, for me, the, one of the heaviest heavy metal songs of that era that I've, I've ever heard. That pound for pound, again, using that terminology, yeah. that stacks up with, with Slayer's, you know, first release. That nice. stacks up with Master of Puppets. Mm -hmm. And it's no wonder why, you know, Slash, Kirk Hammett, and all these other, you know, prominent guys who were playing heavy metal music at the time or heavy rock music yeah. said that this album is one of their favorite albums of all time. Um, you know, interesting point that Michael, you kind of brought up and Andrew, you too. Um, there's something so idiosyncratic about the way that these guys write music. 
right? Uh, it still sounds very Faith No More when they when they branch out. It still sounds like them. But you know, there's also a sense of mythology that comes when you write idiosyncratic music like that. Not just like with the career, but with the the music itself. You know. Frank Zappa, Pink Floyd, they're really good examples of this. There's characters, there's themes, there's references, there's physical pieces of music that reprise themselves within the album. And this album feels genuinely classic when you listen to it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. One more thing, I also just want to mention this, just as a side point. Woodpecker from Mars is the most underrated instrumental of all time. <laughs> it is my favorite rock instrumental of all time. I'm not going to say it's the best. But it's my favorite. I just love... Oh, again, want to talk about atmosphere. That one also has... Again, I'm, I'm going to jump off this now because I could talk about this record for eight hours. It's and brilliant. Probably still it's have brilliant. We still got three more to, to go, and we got to talk about my favorite record. Oh. From Faith No More. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one, I describe as when you're in McDonald's and you decide you're going to mix all the sodas together (laughs) 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 and then you take a drink of it and it shouldn't be good, but it's surprisingly really good. (laughs) What do you think, Ben? And and, and the sugar and the caffeine is all hitting you at the same time. Absolutely. Um, What Michael is talking about, of course, is Angel Dust, one of the oddest uh, albums. At least in mainstream music. Yeah. It's bizarre super strange the, the the way that this album was written the story behind how this album came together and the aftermath of of angel dust is really just like a sign of the times signpost uh for for this band but also for music i mean what is this 1991 when mm-hmm. this came out so you're talking about very pre-grunge you know just years away from nirvana hitting it big and all the big seattle grunge bands coming out mm-hmm. um clearly again another example of them having massive amounts of resources they had just come off of a huge tour uh epic was still a massive single at that time and i think the record labels were just like please give us give us the real thing too we need it as fast as you possibly can and if you know anything about this band you were never going to get the real thing too <laughs> you were never going to get an album that sounded like the last album but once you brought mike patton in you you, you open the floodgates you yeah. can't put it you, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube it's no. not gonna work and i think that too is that even without the addition of mike i think that the way that roddy and billy were, were oh. going in their writing prowess i mean it was all changing it was all evolving and they were just like oh, of course we're not going to give you the same thing and we're going to do whatever the hell we want to do and ladies and gentlemen that is angel dust (laughs) do you mind if we just jump right into our first song then please what do we got on the list be aggressive (laughs) deep track by the way now now, we mentioned weird stuff this is what the fuck we're talking about when you say weird Because this is my favorite song on the album. 
So, Lepixia, so I, I want to know how the song was written because some, because I, it was Bottom who wrote this, wrote, wrote the lyrics to this one, correct? Because I believe he's a, a gay man and he, um, this is a story that I've read that, and this is about, well, gay oral sex, so <laughs> that's what he wanted to write. And he thought it'd be funny to have Mike, a straight man, sing that, so that's kind of a, some. Just shows you the, the the relationship between those guys. It's fun, um, but yeah. So, so so they came up with a song. Hey, we want to write a song about aggressive oral sex. What are we gonna put in there? Oh, I know. We'll start off the song with these really like Transylvanian style organ lines, then shift into these aggressive like funk riffs and just this man screaming over them and then for the chorus eh, why not cheerleader chance let's do that hooray cocaine for everyone like <laughs> yeah i love it it's amazing very strange very strange <laughs> it's it's the, it, when i first heard that i'm like okay so this is what they're doing now i i'm fine with it it's just like really like i mean this is the first keep in mind it's also the first album that mike Patton got to really be heavily involved with mm-hmm. the writing process yeah. so and you hear it all over this record. Yeah, you certainly do. Um, this, for me, was the first Faith No More album I actually bought. Mm-hmm. You know, despite me have had heard it, had heard Epic and have had seen, you know, uh, Bill and Ted, Bogus Adventure, and, and having the perfect crime being, like, stuck in my head constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is the album that I was at my, my local music store flipping through. I had known who Faith No More was, and I was like, well, okay, this looks cool. There's an odd cover. I'll pick this. Boy, was I in for a surprise, you know, because <laughs> little teenage me didn't really know how to understand this album. I loved it. I thought it was great. I was embarrassed to show it to my friends. Um, but, you know, it was just... It's just it's so strange um, that this was even made and that a record label even let this be out at the time because um, it totally bucked the trend that I think that the record labels wanted for Faith No More. Yeah, I like how we're going to talk about this a little more. And we were talking about on the last record how each song has its own unique personality and characteristics. This I look at this album like uh, each song is like a chapter of just the most confounding book ever written. Um, the one, uh, the kind of book that just messes you up after you you're finished reading it. That's a great way to put it. And and I mean, there's so many tracks that I want to point out here. I mean, Malpractice was nice and noisy. Uh, a small victory got really interesting in like the vocal refrains. Mm-hmm. But Andrew, what would I mean besides be aggressive? What were some other highlights on this album? Um, I've always loved uh, Land of Sunshine. I think Land of Sunshine has just a fan. It's just like has a really like washed out guitar guitar intro that like, goes into this the, the almost obnoxiously loud bass line in the mix. And I think that's the one that goes, here's how to order. Because it's just it's just the weird stuff they throw in here. Um, I love uh, the lead single, Midlife Crisis, which I think we'll play in a second. Malpractice is fantastic. I also really enjoy that song. Um, you also got to give a shout out to Crack Hitler and Jizz Lobber. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is the like as I think genuinely as genuinely profound as I think Mike Patton can be, even if he's not intentionally doing it. Um, he also just likes to write dumb shit, which you also got to appreciate because he does it in a, such an interesting way. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, you know, my my favorite ones on this album are a little bit of the outliers. I think RV is an incredibly well-written song. Um, so even many though it's, hidden it's, secrets it, in that production. It's so, it's so goofy. That whole track is just ridiculous. And it, if you just listen to Mike... 
Patton's lyrics in that. It's just it's just so funny and it is it is kind of profound. It's biting criticism too of just like American, you know, r- rural culture at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, and everything's ruined. Uh, that is a song that just has another one of these kind of epic sweeps to it. Oh, yeah. um, and y- you'll notice if you listen to this album, and I'm, I'm sure you guys will bring this up too, is that. You don't hear very much Jim Martin on this album. There's not a lot of leads mm-hmm. going on. A lot of the guitar work is very kind of ambient and ensemble just to kind of like move the song along, yeah. um, except for the, the heavier stuff. I mean, that's obviously he's chunking, chunking, chunking. But uh, yeah, um, this is one of the highlights where there's actually like a very good uh, Jim Martin lead on there. Everything's ruined. descending piano arpeggios are just mm. I, know. I mean just an, just one of those uh, small examples of this unique instrumentation we're going to get on this album yeah and um as much as i was raving about the keyboards on previous record and i love them um and there's a little bit on the uh, the real thing as well but um i do also love it when they just use straight piano yeah i think like you just mm-hmm. i think it just adds a whole new dimension of it and i see kind of the reason although i speak on the keyboards though it's kind of one of the reasons why i don't like angel dust as much as i do the real thing i think the keyboards um you mentioned kind of jim martin being away for a bit and i know you'll talk about that in a second but i also felt like the keyboards were like sometimes like songs like be aggressive it's pretty prominent but like a lot of times it kind of fades into the background a bit the mix it's not as prominent as much and hey listen i like the new direction they're going on this i'm not saying they need to do the real thing too again but i think this album is kind of cries out for some of that same atmospheric uh, uses that they used the keyboards in the last record for this. I think this really would have set the record over the top as well if they had just kind of let that come forward a bit or used it more in general. But uh, again, that's kind of a it's kind of a me more of a me thing because I just love those keyboards so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I it, you kind of hit it. Um, there's far less like kind of ambient synth work going on. Um, you can tell that the way that these songs were written that it, it, again more ensemble kind of driving. A lot of a lot of more room for Mike to have space to sing over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you listen to the real thing. Mike has this very nasally kind of goofy, bratty punk voice. Some people have said that he was just trying to emulate Chuck as like kind of like a, a tribute to him in a, in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I had heard that when they hired him, they wanted him to sing like he was singing in Mr. Bungle at the mm-hmm. time. He came in and did that. And they were like, oh, is, wait, what, what, are you, what are you doing, Mike? Uh, he's like, oh, I've got this character, this, this bratty punk kind of thing. And they're like, eh, I don't know if it's going to work. Obviously, it worked very well. But on this album, you have him singing very much like the Mike Patton that we're eventually going to know and love uh, with later works, with his side projects. Um, Jim Martin, uh, in an interview, defined this as more of a punk rock 
way of singing. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, mm. but you know, it's definitely um, much more use of his range, much more mm-hmm. use of you know his screaming too, uh, especially on something like Malpractice and um, something like Caffeine as well too. Yeah. So, my favorite example of of a Mike Patton scream is definitely on Jizz Lobber, mm-hmm. how his screams literally break the sound barrier, but somehow doesn't affect the instrumentation underneath, Mm-mm. which is just a fabulous production choice. Yes. Um, but let's talk about the lack of guitar for a little bit, and and maybe that'll uh, you know transition us away, because we're talking about Jim Martin's and his lack of presence on this album, and uh, there's even some shady talk of uh, guitar being intentionally removed from some of these songs when there was some plan to have guitar on these songs, from what I understand, and um, you know, I mean, you're a musician yourself, Ben Sleese, and. I used to be uh, uh, in a band in high school, and I don't like it when people take my parts away. You know, I don't like, you know, it makes you feel like a, uh, just kind of a, a small cog in the musical production, or the, uh, you know, musical presentation. Which is such a shame in this case, right? Because Jim Martin is probably one of the greatest metal guitarists of that era. Mm-hmm. He was so great. Everyone loved him. Everyone respected the way that he played. Um, and his lead abilities, too, are, are, are very very unique. Um, you hear a, a lead on one of these early Faith No More albums and you're like, that's Jim Martin. You just, you can hear it. Um, yeah, as the story goes, as they were writing this, um, they didn't really accommodate or or plan for, for Jim to do much on it. I think he was kind of um, disenchanted with Mike, which is really funny because he's the reason why Mike Patton's even in that band. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think that they got along very well. I think that, you know, Jim Martin's a, I, I'm going to drink beer and, and jam with, with my homies kind of a guy, you know, whereas Mike is really just like this bizarre kind of thinking man, you know, weirdo. Um, and they, they, they didn't really see eye to eye. There's um, a really interesting, it was supposed, it was supposed to be a documentary on the making of Angel Dust and it never really came out. If you ever watch any of the, like the strange interviews where, uh, they're talking about that album and Mike Patton's like in a studio somewhere and there's like clips. That's what that's from. Yeah. Um, and it was, there's a, ex, like an extremely uncut long version of this. On I YouTube. saw that on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. And the reason why it's great is because it shows you firsthand the, some of the tensions in that band, you know, mm-hmm. Mike Patton's showing him like parts of jizz that like they're going to play on bass. And Jim's just kind of just sitting there watching like he could, he could be anywhere else right now. Um, and the lack of him having parts on that on that album, not really having a future with that band, uh, turned him off and he left. He left sometime after they started touring Angel, Angel Dust. Um, if you ever read anything recently about him, he's like a, a, a championship pumpkin farmer. He grows pumpkins. Jim Martin? Jim Martin grows pumpkins, which is one of the most uh-huh. metal things I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, so, yeah, he lives on a farm growing pumpkins now. He could, That's he, he could care less about playing music. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with his poor experience in Faith No More. Well, there you go. If you're really angry at your bandmates, start growing pumpkins. And be very good at it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Such an interesting evolution of yeah. this band in terms of talent. You know, and I think from there we can transition to our next record. Yes, we have King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. Yeah, and my so, first impression. Our president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I and think half of our audience just left. <laughs> Whatever audience we have. It's a divided time. Right. I think losing Martin and replacing him with um, 
Trace Bruant from Mr. Bunghole definitely shows on this record, but not necessarily in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I, the riffs aren't as punchy and uh, not as random from what they were on Angel Dust. But uh, I think while Bruant is a fine guitarist, his um, rhythm is kind of boring on the album. But you, you see a lot of examples of great lead playing um, on tracks like Star AD. Um, yes. And and of course, Patton sounds as great as ever on this on this record. I, you know, we expect a a drop off after this point. After the band releases their super experimental record, you're expecting a drop off. But I, I I really didn't detect it in this album. My only complaint would be that it's uh, at times unnecessarily long, mm-hmm. uh, being a 14 track album. I think it could have gone down to maybe a, an 11 or a 12. Um, but I, you know, I digress. I really don't think this is a bad album at all. Just to give a preface to it. No, I, I think it's actually a great record. Maybe not as good as the previous two, but I think this is kind of the classic fake no more trilogy. I mean, I, on the point of it kind of being long, I agree. I was like, it does, it does start to feel its length a bit by the time it gets to the end. But it's not like there's a bad song on here anyway. So it's like, I, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm actually even okay with there being less keyboards. My understanding Bottom had to leave for a bit. I think he was having issues with... Um, uh, was he the one you had to leave because his wife was like good friends with Kurt Cobain, or is that am I thinking of someone else? I'm not sure. Um, I I could be wrong. I think that was the case. So I think uh, someone else kind of come and help him fill him in. So there's less. There's even less keyboard presence on this record than there was on Angel Dust. Which mm-hmm. honestly, actually, I don't mind as much with this one because I, they they kind of take him a different direction. Because this one's like completely banshee-like and animalistic. I mean, that's pretty much the way you can think, that's pretty much a good way to think about this record. I mean, Mike Patton doesn't hold anything back. Like, he, you definitely brought more of his growls yeah. in on the last record. Um, but I think, A, I, something else I want to mention about Angel Dust, it kind of shows his dynamic abilities as a frontman, not just as a vocalist. Like, I don't think he gets enough credit for being such a dynamic use of his voice. He can do hip-hop, screaming, soaring, whatever you want. But he really kind of focused on a lot of that, um, uh, like kind of that low-tone kind of registered bass bass tone he would do for like stuff like Evidence, like which was probably the big song from this record. Um, but also just being just insane. He just, like, this man, like, like this is definitely not the record to give to someone to first get into Faith No More. No, no, and this is really where the rubber hits the road for Faith No More fans, too, because this was the big split, you know. I know several Faith No More fans who are diehard about those those first couple albums, and they just will ritualistically say, this album sucks, I mm-hmm. this is where I stopped listening, because the, the sound so drastically changed. And I, again, we're talking about idiosyncratic songwriters, they still sound like Faith No More, but this is a much more alternative kind of, of, of rock album. Um, you know, late, late nineties, mid nineties, um, sound to it. They did replace Jim. So they're not going to have this, this very thrashy guitar anymore. Yeah. Trey is, is insane. Um, his range of playing is, is really, uh, evident on something like, um, what is it? Evidence. And then also star 80. And then, uh, I can't pronounce the name of this song. It's Karoho Vedo. I I was trying to, how do you say that? There's. there's Mike being uh, influenced by Italian uh, opera, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's something about this album that's that's a lot more alternative rock than it is metal, and I think that several Faith No More, fa- more fans just couldn't handle it, and they're just like, I don't, I don't care anymore. They're going way too off the deep end, and you know, we live for Jim Martin, so screw this band. Well, why don't we hear a little bit, and the audience can judge for themselves. And- 
we're going to play but was it Cuckoo for Cacas? Yes, this is one. my favorite Faith No More song, actually. <laughs> Whoa, and, and you can, that's a... Yeah, and you uh, can hear why when you're going to hear these screams. And you're also going to hear what I meant by animalistic on yeah. this as well. It's songs like that where it is the reason why I can't say this album doesn't have its golden points. Uh, all in all, it could have been way worse from what we're ex- we were expecting. You know, it, it does a great job of bringing back those those flavors from Angel Dust, um, while also even bringing back elements from the real thing um, with those rapping vocals that we're hearing. Um, Sperance was probably the best replacement we could have gotten at the end of the day. Really? Yeah. I mean, Definitely, and I, I think too, I'm kind of under, underselling it a bit. I again, I think this record's really great. Um, again, I really like the. I think there's still a lot of like, even though you said it's more alternative rock, and especially when you get to stuff like Evidence and mm-hmm. Starity, although that one's really jazzy for whatever reason. Although yeah. I love it, um, it's kind of it's still pretty heavy. Like we just from the song we just heard, it's still pretty heavy. It still has a lot of metal to offer, and I mm-hmm. think having like this is <laughs> keep in mind this is around the, when this album came out. Well, this was at ninety five, ninety six. New metal was unfortunate becoming a thing at this point yep. as well. I mean, if we're talking about combining alternative music with metal, I mean, this is easily <laughs> the best stuff that was coming out during at the time, and this is probably one of the ways to do it. So, yeah, well, you're obviously missing over corn. So oh, I, don't, I don't know what oh, you're talking well, about. Oh, yeah, we have a, we have <laughs> a corn apologist here in the room. Jeez. Uh, See, now you know how. Now you know how. No, it's okay. <laughs> I love. I love this. Uh, you guys have such a range of your taste. Um, you know, speaking of yeah. speaking of new metal, right? Yeah. And I guess like you can call the, this band's first couple albums new metal, yeah. but. Um, um, you know, it's interesting when you when you look at bands who are influenced by Faith No More or influenced by Mr. Bungle or a pairing of the two, um, because you look at their music and you're like, I don't see it. And then you listen to certain elements of it like, OK, yeah, that's completely ripped off of, of Faith No More. Mm. Great example. Incubus. Brandon Boyd is really? one of the largest Mike Patton fans in that the world. He cites him as one of his, his biggest influences as a, as a male vocalist. He <laughs> listens to a lot of like female vocalists. Uh, and he says that that's where he really kind of gets his bread and butter. But for all of these, like these like deep tone, um, like vibrato stuff that, mm. that Brandon Boyd does. If you listen to make yourself, if you listen to science and you listen to certain parts of morning view, you can be like, this is completely ripped off of King for a day, fool for a lifetime. And there are so many points in this album where you can see where Brandon Boyd just kind of cherry-picked certain tonal melodies to wow. do his in, in his tone. Do you know if um, any of the guys from System of a Down were really into Faith No More during this time? Because when I was listening to this record, I'm not I'm no crazy huge fan of System of a Down, but I can kind of hear some of them on this record. Possibly. You know, and it, um, another example of, of a band that, well, two examples, uh, in, in the more hardcore uh, realm, post-hardcore, Glassjaw, uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of moments on, on Worship and Tribute. 
um, that are that sound exactly the Mike Patton because um, Daryl had mentioned that that Faith No More and Mr. Bungle were two of his favorite bands. Mm. And um, there's even some moments where he's doing some spoken word stuff and like some heavier parts of the album that do sound exactly like Mike. Um, between the Buried and Me as well, too. Uh, T- Tommy has said multiple times that Faith No More is one of his favorite bands and that a lot of what he does, like when he actually can go deeper and then to high, really high notes, uh, he learned from Mike. So, you know, the influence is there. And personally to me, just knowing what I know about these other bands and having listened to these other bands, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime is really honestly their most influential work. And in my my terms, but the way that it influenced what was coming next in music, you know, mm. um, like I mentioned before, uh, Real Thing and Angel Dust and even Introduce Yourself is a very kind of sign of the times moment of what was going on. Uh, King for a Day really is very forward thinking. Um, and it really does set up that whole 2000s kind of alternative metal, alternative rock uh, schema in my mind. And then um, if we can hear a little, some more examples of this, if you want to play probably I guess my favorite song from this album, uh, probably almost as animalistic as the one uh, Michael chose, uh, we're going to play Ugly in the Morning. Just epic, man. Just just such a good album. And it's so underrated too compared to the rest of, of the material. And it's it's I think it's so funny that you guys both, like, you know, Andrew having listened to Faith No More before, Michael not listening to Faith No More before, like pointing this out as like one of their 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 better albums. Mm-hmm. I think that's really special because I feel the same way. This is like in my top three. But uh, yeah, a very strange album for them to make and to put out. Um, and it's interesting too. I mean, you want to listen to that Brandon Boyd esque thing I was just talking about. As that song started, that 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 tonal note that he's hitting as he's singing. I mean, that's just it right there. Fine evidence of that. That's really interesting. I it, I see Faith No More influences uh, when you're talking about this band appearing in the most strangest places. I know. And I, I it's it's strange to me that I went throughout my entire life not having hear, heard any of this band when so much of their material is appearing in bands that I've loved since I was six years old. Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely insane to me. And and I want to go back to the point I was making about how this album is not a drop-off. It it. it I did a bad job of selling it at the beginning, but I think anyone should go back and listen to this. It's it is an essential. Um, I think the, uh, I mean the real thing, Angel Dust and King for a Day is the Mike Patton trio, the yeah. the three that you have to check out. And really, and we we mentioned about the songs. We even listened to those three records. None of those three records really sounds the same no, compared to each nothing. other. And really, each take their own voice and uniqueness to it. Which again, it's just another reason why I just love. 
going through this band's discography. Absolutely. And we didn't get a chance to listen to the title track, which, I mean, there's so much on this album to just even pick apart anyway, um, just like kind of how the real thing is in a, in a weird way. Um, but if you have a chance, if you're not going to listen to anything else on this album, just listen to the title track of this album and just the the acoustic guitars on how it starts to the kind of like the very just like uh, heavy syncopated chorus uh, and the way that Mike is singing everything. Um Mike Patton has this uh, quirk that he does sometimes where he messes with like electronics in his voice. And I feel like this is the first real instance of us seeing this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone like Scott Weiland in SDP used to sing through like a megaphone on our, on, on stage uh, to get that kind of weird, like, you know, just like speakery, like tone to his voice. Mike Patton has some kind of megaphone that's got a, like, a, it's like circuit bent. And it's like, you know, got a bunch of synthesizer like knobs on it so he can like change the tone of his voice. He actually does some of that on King for a Day in the the chorus. And it's brilliant. And it really, like I said, it sets up what hard rock was going to sound like in the next 10 years. It set up what Mike was going to do in his own solo music for the next 10 years. It's it's just great. And anyone who discounts this album, I think, just really hasn't sat down and truly listened to this album. For sure. And before we get to the next record, if you don't mind, Ben, why don't you go ahead and do some honorable mentions for us in, oh. in terms of Mike Patton's career or some Faith Mo More songs that we may have skipped over because of time just to get those on the table for the listeners. So if we're talking Faith No More, based on the ones that we've already uh, kind of gone through, um, I, you, you can't discount the opening riff of From Out of Nowhere uh, on mm-hmm. The Real Thing. How that, was, album, that was the lead single for that record it, too. Uh, how, it's, it's brilliant. How that album opens up is like very, it's it's metal, it's punk, it's, it's everything that you would want for from that album in one short burst, right? It just sets everything up really well. Um, if we're talking about Angel Dust, like I said, everything's ruined. You got to listen to that song. Um, and on this one, we hit a lot of, of really good notes. I think Ricochet is a great tune. Yes. I don't think we can get away without talking about Ricochet sure. on this album. Um, but you know, Mike Patton has this, this chameleon nature to him. He can just show up on anything that he, he wants to. And people will be like, yeah, dude, you're great. You add so much to our records. Why would we not have you? Mm. There's, um, a Bjork album called Medulla. And I think it was recorded well after this. I think it's like mid 2000s and is when Medulla came out, maybe very late nineties. And I'm not sure. So don't quote me on that, but, um, there's like three songs on that album that Mike is on. Really? Yeah. And so the weird thing about Medulla is that Bjork recorded all of that. There's no instrumentation on it. It's all vocals. <laughs> so it's her vocals layered multiple times. A very large, um, uh, like uh, Northern European, um, like vocal choir. Yeah. yeah. And then I've Mike. About this. Then Mike is doing beatboxing with his vocals <laughs> that he's like programmed. Like too. Yeah. So there's another song and I, I wish I could, I, we could show it, but it's like, he's, he's like hitting drum notes with his voice and he's just doing it with this whole, you know, microphone in his, in his mouth as yeah, we yeah. kind of joked around about before the show. Um, so that's really good. If you really want some good Mike Patton, check out Medulla. Uh, also check out Tomahawk. One of, I think his, his best side projects. Um, yeah, the material is so cool. It's uh, that very, like middle ground between like 
post new metal and like mid 2000s rock. Um, that's really great. That first album is probably the best one. Uh, they did have an album that came out um, called uh, Odd Fellows not too long ago. I want to say that was maybe like five years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a really great album. You should check that out too. Uh, other Mike Patton fair. There's you want to save some of this more obscure yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's let's talk about this later. Let's talk about this at the at the end because we I still, could go on for days about this. We still got one more album to discuss. Which and, and we don't really need to spend too much time. No, on. <laughs> no, because it, because unfortunately for for me at least, this is the album where uh, we start to get a little more sleepy, um, and unfortunately, I think uh, this is Patton's lowest vocal performance in terms of quality I've seen in throughout these albums um not to say there weren't some golden points i loved uh last cup of sorrow and uh and got that feeling mouth to mouth and uh coalition were both decent cuts as well um all in all though i think uh this is our drop-off point but that's just coming from me who is just being exposed to this band so ben what's your impression of of this uh album album of the year um I would compl- and I say this with all due respect, man, because your your introspection on some of this material is so like not only spot on, but it's refreshing to hear it from the from the ears of of someone who hadn't listened to this before. I completely disagree with you. This is such a good album. It's probably <laughs> really? not one of my my favorites of the of all of them, but as a swan song, I mean, this was this is the last album of what we consider the the true Faith No More era before they broke up and then got back together to record Soul Invictus, and now mm-hmm. they kind of tore a bunch and just do whatever the heck they want. But this is this is such a great swan song. It's it's probably, in my mind, the heaviest of, of their albums. Um, it's the most metal just because of the way that John Hudson plays guitar. It's just in your face. Uh, Collision is the best example of that. It just drives, drives, drives. Um, and even though there's probably not as much like, you know, over the top Mike Patton vocals, you know, him just doing very strange things with his voice, mm-hmm. that low register that he has is so rich and so few people can sing in a low register like him. I feel like, um, this album really kind of, um, shines about that. I will say this, it's probably one of their most detached albums. Yeah. If you listen to it, it feels like it, they're, they're fading away. Um, and I think that was intentional because I think they had announced, too, that they're like, we're breaking up. We're going to take a hiatus. But by the way, we're going to record this last album. Mm-hmm. Here you go, fans. Um, and there's moments on here where you genuinely feel like this is the end, you know, and just the way that these songs are written. Ashes to Ashes is a great example of that. Um, that The final track, gosh, it's escaping me on what that track uh, Christina, is. Christina, like. which oh I also God, love. Such a great tune just because it's so disparate. And if you're talking about like building ambience, you can't get a better example. Yeah, and it's weird because usually they build ambience with keyboards, but they decide, no, they went on really Jeroni guitars. It's such an out of nowhere thing for them to do, and I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm culted to Michael, though, on this one, even though I, I, I'm sorry, Ben, but like to me, yeah, this one does feel a little. I wouldn't say detached. I'd say disjointed. I think like I've like it's almost sometimes it feels like almost at times I'm listening to this almost every other song and just kind of falls flat. And it's just like really that's that's what we're gonna throw like strip search. What's not a fan of um, that just kind of just some some songs just kind of throw me on the loop. There are some great songs though on on here. Um, Collision was an okay um, intro. Um, I really liked uh, probably the big song from this record, Ashes to Ashes. Uh, Paths of Glory is also great and. I also really like Pristina. Those are kind of standouts to me. But 
yeah, I will agree with Michael. This is just kind of them winding things up. I mean, Patton was probably looking forward to do other projects, I would think, after this. So, I mean, I don't want to say they were phoning it in, but I wouldn't be surprised if something attuned to that was happening. Ben did raise some really great points, though, that I didn't really consider. And I'm also realizing that I did listen to this album right after King for a Day. So I'm it's night and day um, to, mm-hmm. totally comparing is. the guitars, the kind of the thrashy over the top screeching we were talking about to this. I mean, um, usually I'm a huge fan of drone style guitars that we, we're seeing on this, but I, I don't think it, it can pair well with Patton's vocals. I feel like there's uh, constantly this feeling of like almost reaching a climax, but just getting cut short. Um, that was my main gripe. But I want to highlight the golden points on this album. And let's do that with uh, uh, our first song on the list here, which I believe is... Last Cup of Sorrow. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm detecting now that I'm going back and listening to this, uh, there were golden points on this album, like I was saying. But um, I don't I don't know if I like this identity of fading away. That, that doesn't seem like a faith no more thing to me. Um, I wish they would have gone out with a bang rather than fa- fading away. I wish uh, I, I'm not asking for a king for a day, too. Um, but a different take. That's what I would have asked for. And, you know, that's it's really interesting, too, because I think that the just from the basis that this music is so unique and it's so wide-reaching and it is so multi-genre that each Faith No More fan has something different that they like about the group. And um, in a lot of ways, I completely see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, if you look at what Faith No More is all about, nothing ever sounds the same twice, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have the type of music that you have, the catalog that you have and that you've offered up, where do you go next that's not that? And in my mind, droning and, you know, kind of laying back and, and easing in and letting letting the feedback and, and the, the sparse whispering vocals do the talking mm-hmm. um, is really kind of a cool statement, especially as, as, you know, this was the last record. I will posit this, though. Strip Search, yeah, is kind of a boring tune, but the end of that song is one of the heaviest riffs I've ever heard them play. That mm. drop at the end of that tune, I crank at full volume every single time it's on in my car just because it's just so intense. Um, and it really does it does show you what was coming next for Mike Patton, too, because this is this is quintessential at this point. This is how Mike Patton's vocals sound on every other Mike Patton record that follows this. Mm-hmm. He's no longer singing in very high registers. He's kind of like using the timber of his voice uh, to express things as opposed to a range of, of, of tonality. Um, and I, I think it's really great. John Hudson is the guitar player on this album, um, and I think that they didn't really 
I think they didn't have a lot of chemistry with Trey, despite mm-hmm. how great he is on King for a Day. Uh, with John, he's just like, you know, this is the perfect addition for them because they're trying to do something that is rather sparse. And that's just kind of the way that John Hudson plays. When I saw them, John Hudson still is with that band. Um, a lot of those leads that Jim Martin pulls, he didn't really play them. Um, or if he did play a lead, it was so drastically different than the way that Jim or or Trey uh, plays. Um, it's it's evident that he can't, probably can't play some of that stuff. Mm. But, you know, that's just... Um, I think where they were at at that at point in time, this idea of ensemble playing really kind of pushed to the nth degree. Yeah, I am proud. I don't think it's a bad album. I don't think it is. I mean, again, I don't think they really have a bad album in the discography. Even the most recent one, Soul and Fictus, which we're not going to really touch on. It was just kind of like a whatever thing. And honestly, damn. that might be their weakest. That or the debut. I would agree. But um, yeah, I, I I think I think you're right, Michael. I think there are golden points on this record. Um, I think they definitely do continue the idea of kind of bringing identity to each um, to each song on this album. So uh, uh, part of it, I do want to preface, Tool's also kind of big at this time, I think. So which kind of leads into what this ne- what kind of the, the the big song from this album sounds like, Ashes to Ashes. And when I first heard this riff, this is the most tool thing ever so let's let's hear super adam jones No doubt about it. Yeah, so. I can hear all those string bends and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there. Post grunge, man. <laughs> this was this was it. it, it it's really interesting too, uh, sitting down and listening to just that track um, after hearing what you guys had all said. Um, you know, I, I guess to some degree, I do agree with you in the regard that some of these parts just don't sound complete especially that song. That's a great tune. That's probably one of the better tunes on this album. Mm-hmm. But even the, the the contrast between the verse to the chorus, the chorus just sounds like it was just thrown together at the last minute, where the rest of that, that verse just builds up so much tension. For that to be the climax, yeah, it's it's not, it doesn't deliver quite as well as some of the other stuff. Um, odd point, and I don't know if he's mentioned this to you. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Dave Clark is, he's the advisor of Central Michigan <laughs> oh, Life. No. Dave yeah. Clark is a huge, huge music fan. And when I was here, uh, Dave and I bonded over so much music. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the time that I spent in his office was not talking about CM Life or newspapers or journalism at all. It was about music. And Glad this, to know I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, yeah, it was big. Me, me and Dave, we bro out. Dave, you're listening. 
He was on our hair metal episode. My, oh, of course he was. <laughs> I'm, su- course. I'm surprised he wasn't just the only one on that on that episode. Oh, that was um, the longest one. Two and a half yeah, hours of Dave uh, talking no, about hair no, metal. No, actually, the New Year's one was longer. Wow, okay. You guys got Daved on your podcast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we did. Thank you. Wonderful. So, also, no, also, this is totally for CM Lifers only, but uh, he says being Daved, uh, typically our advisor likes to, I don't want to say lock is in. He doesn't really like to lock. Lock is in his office with a key. But He's got a lot to say. He traps you in the office and he kind of just lectures at you for two hours. He's got a lot to say. Yeah, no one ever calls it being Dave anymore, which makes me sad. He's so. he's he's a great guy. Uh, so I'm not just I'm not just blowing smoke, but uh, Dave and I bonded over this album quite a bit. And you know, I mentioned that like it re- my love for Faith No More was rekindled in college. Um, you know, I'm a little bit older. I didn't come to college when until I was 25. I think I showed up here when I was 25. And, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of music. I just I just do. And sometimes some of the older stuff that I listen to as a teenager, I, I don't go back to. It's hard to just, you know, find those little bits that you really dug. Um, but somehow Dave and I started talking about Faith No More one day and it was just it was just on. It was like this, what we're doing right now for mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours. And, um, K, uh, you know, um, Album of the Year was one of the ones that I really hadn't listen to mm-hmm. like I had listened to pieces of it but I was just like ah eh. because I kind of felt the same way as you did Michael being that you know faith no more purist um but that's that's Dave's favorite faith no more album if oh, you really? if you that's talk crazy. to him about it this is this is probably one of his favorite ones he hates King for a day um so he's one of those mm-hmm. one of those people who hates that album interesting um but yeah I went back and listened to this album specifically because of my, my conversation with Dave and then Throughout my four years here, I became such a bigger Faith No More fan again, simply just because we were talking about this album. So in a lot of ways, this album has a lot of meaning to me because this kind of showed me back into the path of like, oh, man, this band kicks butt. And Mm -hmm. I understand why I dug them so much as a teenager. Absolutely. And we I are. couldn't think of a better way to close this conversation out. Any last comments about... (laughs) We we are at the hour and a half mark. I yeah, think. so Jeez. we just need. So I was trying to wrap it up. Uh, any other any last comments? I'd li- I'd like Ben just to have uh, one final statement. If you were to pitch Faith No More to um, just a typical metal fan, like someone who's had their Metallica, their Megadeth, and or maybe uh, have delved in some you know death metal or something like that, um, explain how they open up so many doors um, as musicians. It's refreshing. It's refreshing to go from from a a post punk garage band to a, an alternative thrash metal band to something that's extremely droney. With Faith No More, you're you're never gonna get the same thing twice, as I mentioned before. Um, it's it's a it's a well balanced meal of music, and I think that if you really want to play heavy music. And you really want to understand how to do that musically, you're going to listen to a band like Faith No More. Um, just the, the wide strata of what they're able to play, what they wanted to play, the fact that they never really conformed to anything that the industry was doing at the time uh, is really, uh, it's really respectable. Um, and I think that there's these, these moments that you just don't, here until you've heard these albums like a thousand times. There's a part in um, Epic, uh, right as it kicks into the to the end kind of like big buildup, where Jim has like a really fantastic lead, mm-hmm. and uh, you can't hear it because Jim is so heavy in the in the front of the mix. 
Um, I there's a there's a YouTube video, and I I, I want to share it with you guys later because uh, we can't talk about it now. But uh, a guy isolated all of the different parts on this particular song on Epic, mm-hmm. and he isolated out Billy's bass line leading into that, and it's just heavy fuzz bass. He's playing a solo under that whole part, and you can't really hear it. But if you if you hear that isolated track and then go back and listen to that song you're like oh my god billy's like he's just he's absolutely ripping under this wow and uh, i think that there's there's moments like that that you know it's the gift that keeps on giving is faith no more you know you're, you're never going to hear the same part in an album the same way after you've listened to it um and i think that's one of the things that i've liked about it i can probably ditch all other heavy music that i listen to and still be okay with just listening to faith no more and that's it, really interesting you bring that up because something going back to the real thing. I mean, that's just an album. I go back whenever I listen to. I it's a cliche, but I love leaving more every time. There, you're right. There are little thing, new things I pick up on. There's just new things I, I learn to appreciate and just just appreciating how that album came together and how this band just makes music. It, it really it's hard to really find stuff that's really bad with this band. It's really hard to leave not at least appreciating some aspect of the span. Even if you're not into heavy music, there are certain, there are going to even be songs that you can pick up that you'll like, even if you don't like the whole album. So, I, again, like I said, this is one of my favorites. I, I reckon, this is this is definitely one of the big episodes I wanted to check off the list before I graduated, because I felt they deserved it. I felt they were special enough, and I, I just adored this band. So I'm happy you let me uh, have this episode, Michael. No problem. Thank you so much for showing it to me, Andrew. Ben, thank you so much for being here and driving up here to do this episode. I don't think we could have asked for a better expert into this band. Um, and with that, I think it's time for our final segment of the show. Recommendations. Our weekly recommendations. Uh, who would like? Well, we traditionally let the guests go first. If you have something planned. Well, since we're talking about Mike Patton, um, <laughs> you know, I mentioned a few others earlier, but there's there's two that I really want to just like plug. Right? Is uh, there's a, there's a there's a, a DJ um, called Dan the Automator. Right? He's like a pretty prominent underground hip hop DJ. He's worked with uh, Deltron. He's he has a group called uh, Handsome Boy Modeling School with Prince Paul. <laughs> okay. And that that album is particularly very good. Mike is on that album, but that's not the one I'm going to point out. Dan uh, has a character that he plays uh, in Handsome Boy Modeling School. Um, they both do him and Prince Paul. They're like modeling experts. And that's like the whole joke of the album is like they're just like there's a school that you can go to to become a very fashionable gentleman. Um, so he has a side project where it's just him as that character called Lovage. And it's the girl from Elysian Fields singing on most of it. And then Mike is on the majority of that album. And it's, it's brilliant. So check out Lovage. That's a really good album. And then um, Dead Cross, man. Dead Cross is, is Mike's newest project with uh, Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Um, it's, it was conceived as a hardcore album, as like a tribute to hardcore albums. It's really not as hardcore as you think it is. And, and just in the terms of what hardcore music is, it's really more of a thrash metal album. And it's it, all those great things that you love, Michael, about mm-hmm. Mike Patton and Andrew too, that, that we're just like screaming, yeah. guttural, going completely insane. Cool. That album is, is quintessential Mike Patton. It's brilliant. It's, so, it's such a difficult listen. Because it's so in your face heavy, but it is so good. Probably the best thing he's put out in a very long time. 
definitely going to check that out. <laughs> Dead Cross, man. Yeah, I haven't, uh, even much as I've been raving about Mike Patton, I don't know much beyond, obviously, Faith, and as well as a bit of Mr. Bungle and Tomahawk. Obviously, those are his big side projects, so I will have to delve into that. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Mike Patton and Faith No More, I'd like to recommend some folk punk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, so, yeah, um, my, mine is one of the ones that um, I don't, Really, I'm not going to relate to the episode's topic. Uh, I, a few weeks ago, I was kind of getting out of back into a folk punk kick because I do like folk punk. It's cringy as it can be sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I do quite like the genre. Everyone knows how big of a fan I am of uh, Against Me, especially their especially their early work when they were really truly folk, folk punk. Um, I have a smaller band. I believe they're out of somewhere in Pennsylvania. I want to. It's either Philly or Pittsburgh. I always I, I don't remember which cool. of the two. Um, called Apes of the State. And uh, they're, they, have, they're, they have a female lead singer, and I think they, they have a lot of their lyrics touch on a lot of themes relating to how difficult it is being a millennial or a zennial or whatever people are called these days. <laughs> um, you know, and that could be college debt or whatever. Um, but there's also a twist of a, kind of from perspectives of being you know recovering drug addicts and um, kind of going through that, and it's. I can definitely see how this can be helpful for for people who are going through that, and um, it, it can be really it's really earnest music. Uh, they actually just put out a record last year, which is kind of cringy uh, at times. So I won't play anything from there, but I do want to play uh, a bit of uh, a song called uh, Bill's Collector's Theme Song. Uh, can you please play for, play some of that for me, Ben? They told me to dream big, you can do anything When I got older, they told me to stop dreaming Start being more realistic, make the coffee, do the dishes But I can't seem to keep my head out of the clouds Cause what's the point of living life to work until I die? That can't be it, and if it is, then I want out I like that, very charming Yes, I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, it does get a little more aggressive, especially vocally going on, and some of their other stuff. Um, but this is on the folk side of folk punk that's much more acoustic-based, much more, um, less aggressive, not quite, you know, to the level of something like Early Against Me or, mm-hmm. uh, or Interjection Jihad. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's kind of charming. It's very relatable uh, in, in many aspects. Um, yeah, if you don't like folk punk, this isn't going to change your mind, but if you do, I recommend them. They're really good. Cool. Uh, lastly, I'm going to recommend something that's probably the farthest away from Faith No More we've recommended so far. Um, uh, prolific uh, jazz, surf rock, uh, post-punk, I don't know what you want to call them. King Cruel released a, a new album recently called Man Alive, but I'm not recommending that to you because I don't think you have to. You can listen to that album without going all the way back to Six Feet Under the Moon, um, especially with the song, uh, let me pull it up. Especially with the song "Ocean Bed," uh, I've I throughout listening to Faith No More this week, I wanted sort of a, a palate cleanser in between albums of sort of soft music, sort of just to uh, you know ease me out after I get so hyped up by Faith No More. I need to chill out a little bit. So <laughs> this has kind of been my go-to album this week, and it, and it prepared me to listen to "Man Alive." So uh, Ben, you can go ahead and play "Ocean Bed." This is my favorite song off Six Feet Under the Moon. Right. We'll soak it in. 
really nice um i was it was actually very interesting um that really weird mix of this really deep echoey vocals mixed in with all these really bright reverb guitars yeah. quite quite an odd combo uh his voice kind of has like reminds me like the timbre of his voice reminds me of a uh i believe his name is benjamin booker if you've ever listened to him he's kind of like an alternative blues guitarist hmm. just coming out a few years ago uh i don't know if he's still making music now i'm sure he is um but yeah no that was pretty good my wife loves this guy. Oh, yeah? My wife is so in love with King Cruel. Uh, actually, she showed him to me while we were here in college together. Uh, well, we were just cool. dating before we were married. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's such a great album. Awesome. Great album. And with that, I think we've concluded this week's episode yes. of Soundcheck. Yes, we have. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think we're going to have another... We're going to have a... Um, well, we got spring break wet next yeah, week. Yeah, so I'm going to say we're not going to have... An, uh, we're going to take another week off here. I know we kind of just took one a few weeks ago, but... We can't control the school schedule, so... Any um, uh, CMUers listening, have a great spring break. Yes, and to anyone else at home, as always, good good night, night, Detroit. Detroit.